You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 90 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchatz, and this is the show for March 2021. I am joined today by a first-time guest who was recommended to me by friend of the show, Alison Sheridan. Um, Wally, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners, since they will have, they're unlikely to have heard your uh, dulcet tones before. Ah. Well, it's a pleasure being on the show, Bart. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, we have a friend in common, Allison, and uh, I've known Allison for, gosh, since about 2009, which was the first Mac World that I went to. And I remember they were doing a live recording of the um, Mac Mac Voices, I think, no, the Mac Roundtable podcast. And, and there was uh, Allison and Chuck Joyner and David Sparks and, and uh, Don McAllister, who I knew well. And uh, so we were going to sit down and listen to that podcast. And I was just chatting with Don and Allison came over and said, here's a camera. Take photos during the podcast. <laughs> well, if you knew Allison, you don't say no to Allison. So I did. And uh, we've been friends since. We've traveled together. We've seen uh, one another at... Other events, other Mac worlds, uh, Mac stocks, a whole lot of other things. So, uh, yeah, uh, me, I in another life, I was a research scientist. I worked for many years also for the Canadian Space Program. Uh, a few years ago, I decided to slow down, and so I took an early retirement, and I went back to doing something that's just pure fun for me, and that's um, filmmaking and videography. So these days, I dabble at that. I also uh, write a monthly column for the Screencasts Online monthly magazine. So I do keep busy. That sounds pretty good. Now, I was rather hoping you would save me the embarrassment of mispronouncing your surname by, by hoping you would do it for me. Oh, no. By all means, mispronounce it as much as you like, Bart. It's, it, Cherwinski is just the way it looks. Okay. okay. No so it actually is the way it looks. The I've Polish always... spelling would have a Z in there somewhere, but no, I don't use the Z. So it's just Wally Cherwinski. That's me. Cherwinski. I, I think I can manage that. Um, that's actually, in, in hindsight, it seems easier than my surname, which tends to trip people up terribly. Probably because we've decided as a family to intentionally mispronounce it. But, you know, you do these things. Well, if you add a few Zs to it, you can make it even more fun. <laughs> make it a bit further east of where it really is from. Yes. Well, Sherwinsky is on an Irish name, actually. It used to be Mick Sherwinsky, but we dropped the Mick and just decided to go with the Sherwinsky. Uh, I can't Not, say I've met the Sherwinsky clan. I haven't, I haven't oh, run across them oh. here. Um, we have an interesting tartan. I'll show you sometime. <laughs> so last month, I recorded a show where I was trying to evangelize the joys of the ultra-wide-angle lens on the new iPhones. Yes. yes. And Alison was somewhat skeptical. But she immediately went, I know someone who loves doing that just as much as you do. And I think you should talk to him. So that's sort of how this show came to be. And mm -hmm. Alison, Alison really likes your photography because she, and I agree with her, by the way, 
you can take a picture of somewhere that is photographed a million times and come away with something that doesn't look like your typical snapshot. And that's that's what I think we all want to do. I think that every listener here wants to be able to take a photograph that catches the eye, that, that sort of, you know, that people will go, ooh, or at least notice. Well, I, I'm obviously, I, I appreciate the compliment. Um, and when you you said, come on the show and we'll talk about um, how we look at photographs, I had to think a lot about what I actually do when I size up a photograph and how I take it. And I did hear your show on uh, wide-angle lenses, and I'm a fan too. And, and we're going to talk about that later because I, I do want to talk about uh, wide-angle shots and panoramas and stitching photos and things like that. You can get a tremendous effect. Um, but in terms of uh, seeing photos, I mean, these days when I go on assignment, I've scaled way back on the equipment I take. Um, I used to go on assignment with a camcorder, maybe two of them, GoPro, a still camera, and an iPhone on top of that. Um, and then it, it, over the years, I trimmed that down to maybe one camcorder for video. I mean, I am a videographer primarily. And I, I think when I take photographs, I probably think like a videographer more. Um, but I trimmed that down to one camcorder for video. And I used to take stills with a two. I mean, maybe the, the, not the best still camera, but for my purposes, it was fine. And I always liked a camcorder or even a camera that I could easily put in a pocket because I really put a, a premium on portability. It, it just didn't tie you down. Right. In recent years, I've gone down to just an iPhone for both stills and video. Now, I admit I bring a second iPhone as a backup in case I want to take a multicam shot or something. But unless there's a really good reason, I leave my still camera at home and it's so liberty, liberating to go light and not be burdened with a lot of equipment. So as so, I'm scrolling through your photographs, I it sort of looked to me like iPhone style. The iPhone has a certain look, right? When you, when you use the iPhone wide angle, it has a particular point of view. When you use the iPhone yes. panoramic mode, it has a particular point of view. And the iPhone's yeah. built-in HDR has a particular look to it. And I thought I recognized iPhone photographs. So I, I wasn't <laughs> off the mark. No, you certainly weren't. Um, so w when I say, I, I, I think in video terms, um, yeah. the, the differences between video and stills, there are similarities and there are distances, differences. So for example, in photography, you work mainly single image by single image. Right. When you shoot video, you're thinking of sequences of images, how they relate to each other and how they might eventually flow from one to the next in a movie. And, and the example I give people is if, if you want to see how a video was put together, just go watch a documentary. It could be a nature show, something like that, but a program that doesn't have a lot of person to person dialogue. Okay. Why do we do that? Very simple trick. Turn off the sound. No audio. There will be no music, no narration, no sound effects, no wild sounds. In other words, absolutely no distractions. Yeah. And you can focus on the images alone. And you can appreciate how the images were shot in the first place. 
and then how the editor found natural transitions to make them flow together. And doing something like that also teaches you a lot about storytelling. Right. Does that make sense? No, it, it does make sense. And I guess it's it's like composition in an extra dimension. Because you're not just composing it for the instant. You're also thinking to yourself, well, I'm panning. So where are the logical edges of the pan? So that's a type of composition, I guess, right? It, yeah, it needs exactly. to look good in between, but you're also sort of composing a flow. So whether it's video or stills, you're, you're looking at your subject and you're thinking about how can I capture it best and present it best to whoever is going to see it. Um, so, so, okay, so can I just stop you there for a sec? So you're, yeah. you're standing in a place, right? There's a place that has a, a feel, a, a sense of place. And, you know, you're, you're taking a few video sequences. So am I correct that you want to avoid static shots? Usually you're usually trying to be somewhat in motion or am I wrong about that? Uh, well, it, it, it depends on what your style is. Every okay. videographer or filmmaker has a style and there is no right answer or wrong answer. Um, okay. These days, there's a lot of movement and shots. Um, but you can actually keep your camera steady and just let the motion happen inside the frame without moving the camera. And that's a perfectly valid style. And okay. frankly, that's a style that I really enjoy. So uh, in video, at least, I tend to keep my camera still and let the action happen inside the frame. Interesting. Right? And, and would, you, so, would you then make a point of having, say, something that shows a detail and something that shows the big picture and with the intention that there'd be some sort of cut between them? Or how, how do you capture that? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Because um, when I compose a shot, um, I'm aware of things that we know about, like uh, the rule of thirds and leading lines and natural frames, reflections, and all the things you've read about in photography, all good stuff. Right. Um, but there are a lot of things that, that I can do on top of that. Not that, that. Those things are already built into the shot, but I can do some things on top of that to make my shots better. And when I say I, I think about uh, things like a videographer, I am thinking about a sequence. So when I'm shooting one shot, in my mind, I may be thinking, well, what's the next shot I should go to? Or which shot would look good before this one later on? And, and I tell people that there are two really, really important things to, to aim for in video. And, and you can take this to still photos, too. Number one, shoot lots. <laughs> this is this is digital. If you don't like the stuff, you don't have to keep it. But shoot lots. If you shoot lots, the chances are you're going to come back with something really good. Yeah. Secondly, add as much variety as you possibly can to your shots. So for variety, if, if I break it down, how do I build variety into yeah. my shots? Four things four things that I think about. Number one, distance. Um, so when you have a camcorder, and we don't have camcorders as much these days, but to vary your distance, you would use your zoom function. So you're getting close to something, you'd pull back, you'd, you'd uh, give a long shot, a medium shot, close off, et cetera. With an iPhone, you can't quite do it that way. You do have three lenses in the new phones. You have a super wide, a uh, normal wide, and a telephoto, but you can't quite do distance the same way. 
So if you're thinking stills, the way to build in distance is by cropping your photos. So if your resolution is good enough to start with, though, you could crop in and show tighter shots. So that's distance. Get a little sneaker zoom. You could. You could. Um, if you're shooting a landscape, for example, there's only so far you can walk. So, but, but <laughs> so if it becomes a hike, uh, yeah. It's a or something else, absolutely. Second thing I think about is angle. And again, we're, we're thinking variety and shooting lots. So I will shoot the same subject at different angles and different perspectives. So if it's something that I can get closer to, yeah, you can walk. 360 degrees all the way around the subject and you can kind of size it up in your viewfinder and say which is giving me the most pleasant view yeah. and and that's kind of instinctive and i i think you know we should give ourselves more credit than we do because when we see something that's pleasantly framed quite often our brain knows that but you just have to walk around and find that sweet spot. Right. The so other if you thing, don't look, you can't. Your, your brain can't stop you at the right moment if you never, if it never crosses no. your eye line because you haven't done the exploring. Exactly, and and as you know, uh, a lot of people will hold their camera at chest height and just take that shot, and they won't walk around and and take any additional uh, views. So the other thing, as you're walking around, be um, sensitive to the background of your shots, because from some angles, you'll get a really great background. And in others, the background will either be distracting or there's a dumpster in it or who knows what. But that's one to avoid. So that's in a in a horizontal plane. You can go around 360 degrees if you're close enough to subject. The other thing you can do really well is you can either go up high or down low to get a different perspective on the same subject. Now, if you're using an iPhone, you can, of course, you can extend your arms as far as you possibly can to go high and to get low, you can kind of bend down. Um, One thing you can use is either a selfie stick or a monopod extension with your phone on it so you can get really high, really low. Um, But as as you're aware, when you get down low, you you can come up with some fantastic perspectives and really uh, you can see a subject in a way that is is not normal. And in that difference from normality, I think, gives you a, a, a really heightened sense of something. I, I'm, I'm going to use an example of that. And, and it's something that happened with our, our friend Allison. Um, Allison and Steve and, and uh, I were, were traveling and we were in Dubai this time. And there is a, a hotel in Dubai called the Burj Khalifa. And it's one of the very tallest structures in the world. So I was going to take a picture of Steve in front of the Burj Khalifa. Now, he wasn't actually right beside it or right in front of it. It was off in the distance, but still it basically filled the frame. So I I wanted to get a sense of how tall this building was with a person to give it a little perspective. And by going low, I decided to get as low as I possibly could, which in this case meant 
lying flat on my back, pointing my iPhone upwards at Steve and the building. Um, and that was about the only way I could get it in properly and give you the sense of scale. But now, what I love about that approach, Wally, is yeah. not only do you get the sense of scale, right? And you're going at it from an angle that isn't you know, human, human eye height. But yes. the distortion of the wide angle lens has just become your friend. Because yes. that distortion, which some people would find inconvenient, is now acting to make the building look even taller. So you've le- you're leaning into the limitation of the lens, working with it instead of against it, and you're getting this alternative point of view. Yes, exactly. And and I hope we can put uh, a, a couple of those pictures in your show notes. Yes, please. Because the, the other thing with, with that shot is um, you may have heard of something called a Dutch angle. It's actually a Deutsch angle because of the German word, but... A Dutch angle is when you uh, tilt your frame a little bit off kilter with the horizon. So everything isn't straight up and down, but it's a little bit of a tilt. A little bit drunk. Um, Yeah. So um, with that shot, I actually did that. I tilted the frame a little bit. And again, I think that added to the sense of scale. So it, it was a really fun experience. And it's the kind of thing where... I went out of my comfort zone to lie down on a dirty yeah. <laughs> sidewalk to get a picture. But in the end, you know, I, I think the result was, was worth whatever discomfort I felt. And and the other part of that is Allison took a photo of me on the sidewalk shooting Steve with the building. So the pair of shots, I think, is, is really oh, that's interesting. That's very fun, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we discussed uh, distance and angle. And again, those two things, you keep doing those things and shooting lots of shots during each of them, and you come up with variety. The other thing is focus. This is a third thing. And by focus, um, I don't really mean whether uh, my photo is in focus or out of focus. (laughs) Rather, what is the focus of attention in this photograph, what would I like the viewer or this video? What would I like the viewer to see or to feature or to experience in this photo? So um, you, you can, if it's a person, for example, is it their facial expression? Is it their hands? Is it their something? Is it something they're doing? There could be a lot of different things that make up the focus. So uh, again, in video, I would try to combine distance and angle. In in other words, I would end up with a certain part of the photo or the video that would uh, grab the viewer's attention. So again, I I would vary that as much as I could. And, And the final thing I'll mention is the context of the photo. So um, you may have heard the terms um, B-roll or cutaway. And and these are terms that are often used in um, the film industry or in video to say that I am not shooting the prime subject right now. I'm showing a picture of something else, but that something else isn't completely random it's part of the environment or part of the scene also. Uh-huh. So what, what you're trying to do is to give your viewer 
a bigger picture of what you are seeing in that scene. Right. You've shown them the person, but what else is happening around? And whether it's um, video or stills, what's what also is in a scene, in addition to the main subject, can actually be really interesting too. Um, now, th there's a couple of other examples that I think are really good, and Allison is going to feature in another one. But um, one time we were at, uh, we were viewing a solar eclipse on the deck of a ship. Solar eclipse, I mean, That's this is one of nature's... <laughs> Sorry? A solar eclipse is a pretty, you know, pretty arresting subject. It, it's a big deal, and they don't come along terribly often. And when you get the opportunity, hey, yeah. this is something you want to, you want to see. So... Um, we're watching the eclipse, and, and, and I wanted to do a little video. It was about an eight, six, eight-minute video or something of the whole experience of watching the eclipse. And in the end, um, I don't think I took any footage of the eclipse itself. I, I didn't take a still photo. I don't think I took any serious video of the eclipse itself. Because to me, what was fascinating being in that place watching this spectacle were the other people how they were reacting uh what they were looking at the sounds they were making now I, i'm not dumb enough that i'm going to turn around and not look at the eclipse and shoot the people instead you know at, at a certain time i just downed tools <laughs> and just enjoyed the spectacle as much as i could it was fantastic yeah. but Leading up to then, I was shooting a lot of people watching the eclipse. And I had um, a GoPro aimed at people with a little bit of the sky in there also. And the reason I didn't shoot any of the eclipse itself is because there were people with us who would do a much, much better job than I possibly could. And Allison was taking photos. We had uh, another friend who was actually uh, an astronomer. He was shooting photos with a serious camera, and another one was taking them. Yeah. So I knew that later on I could get really great shots, and I ended up doing a kind of a, an animation using the still shots to simulate the actual eclipse. It was kind of fun. So because um, you had taken the time to grab the view they weren't, you were able to put together a hole that was much more evocative, obviously, because you're getting the eclipse itself, which is obviously amazing, but it's hard to capture. Like, I've, I've, I've witnessed an eclipse once, and it is, it is an, an experience that I find very hard to put into words. It, it is very special. Yes. And Images only of the eclipse don't capture that. What captures that is the look on people's faces. Yeah. And so by you yeah. choosing to point the camera that way, you caught the feeling better because we're experiencing it through those people. So when I look at that video now, I, I'm, I'm transported back to that time and place. And I feel as though I'm still on the deck of that ship watching the eclipse. If it were just the eclipse that I shot, sure, nice memory, wonderful shots, everything good, but it doesn't give the viewer the sensation or the feeling of actually being there.
Yes. So um, I thought that was important. Now, Allison sent me uh, a photo recently. It was really interesting. She and Steve went to Yellowstone, and they were watching uh, the geyser, or geyser, I guess it's, they might call it in the UK or Ireland. I think the um, geyser is a, is, a, is a gentleman of dubious repute. Oh, uh, so let's go oh, with geyser. <laughs> okay, I, I might call a, a geyser kind of an, a, an older person. But uh, anyway, geyser, uh, old faithful geyser, which uh, spews hot liquid into the air every so often. And it's a spectacle, mind you. Yeah. It's not like an eclipse where if you miss the eclipse, you, you're sort of done for a few years, <laughs> unless you travel for to faraway places where yeah. it be. But at least with old, old faithful, it's called old faithful because... Um, it's an hour hell. later, whatever the time interval, it will happen again. So um, I guess they were watching Old Faithful erupting. And Allison says that she remembered um, some of the things they talked about, shooting back in an audience instead of just focusing on what's in front of you. Um, so she took a photo of people watching Old Faithful. And it was interesting because there are people with iPhones taking photos, there are people pointing, smiling, gasping, all of these people reacting to it in different ways. And she came up with a, a really neat photo. So, yeah, Th that, that reminds that's me of cutaway. And it works in both, um, I think, photography and video as well. So. That reminds me of, um, so one of my passions is trains. Like it, I, I'm a complete nut train. for trains. Ooh. And so I follow a lot of train people on Flickr. And the UK have a lot of steam locomotives that have been restored to full working order and run on the main line. And right. when one of the famous locomotives is on the main line, it attracts thousands of people along the length of the line. It is an event. And they're all trying to get the photograph that makes it look like they were the only people on planet Earth on that mountainside along with that steam train. And so they have step ladders and they have all these tricks to try and make sure that no other photographer sneaks into their shot. So they want, they, they want to pretend as if it's just them and the train. Yes, yes. Which is ridiculous. So one of the guys I love on, on Flickr does the opposite. He intentionally goes back 500 yards and he takes a picture of all the people trying to take a picture as if they're not there. And he yes. still gets the steam train and he frames it in such a way that the train is above them or below them. They're not blocking it. But they, the spectacle is as much a part of his photographs as the steam train. And I, those catch my eye every time I see them. And the same old, same old, like those 200 guys, each on their stepladders, they came away with the same photograph as each other. Like mm -hmm. hundreds of copies of it. And yep. this guy came home with something truly special. He caught the event. He caught the feeling of the thing. And I just loved, I just, it just reminded me of that, you know, that approach. I, re I really like that. That's great. I, I think I'm in his camp too and yours. Yeah. So, so it, it, if, you're, if you're a videographer or if you're a still photographer and you do those kinds of things, distance, angle, focus, and context, and you have a variety of shots, and particularly in video, if you have a variety of video shots, um, one thing I, I just love about the iPhone is 4K video. So you can set your camera app to record in 4K at 30 or 60 frames per second. So even if you're not intending to shoot or make a video, if you record something in video, 
the, the really good thing you can do is you can grab a single frame from that video and you can end up with an eight megapixel still image. Right. Do the math. 4K is 3840 by 2160. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you do the multiplications, it's eight megapixels. So you can capture just the perfect frame from action footage by doing that. And, and that's something I do a lot, too. I, at the end of a, a, a shoot, I'll go through my video footage because when you're shooting video, you don't always have a chance to shoot stills at the same time. You can. But sometimes you're just in, engrossed in something and you want to finish it. So I extract still images and they're great. That, that's an interesting technique. I thought when you mentioned 4K, I thought we were heading towards a, a trick that I've... Again, back to my train shooting thing. So I would bring along a video camera as a bonus extra when I was going out photographing trains. So my intention was to come away with a beautiful photograph but the photograph doesn't get the sound. Nothing gets the smell, unfortunately. A steam train has a smell because depending on the coal it's burning, it will be very different. You right. can't capture that. That's lost, unfortunately. But the sound of a steam train is very special because it's a breathing thing, right? It, 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 unlike a, 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 a petrol or electric, it, it breathes, it huffs, it puffs. It's got a life to it, right? I may be being too romantic, but I certainly think that way. Uh, so I thought I'll get some video too. But obviously, my main aim is the photography. So I just set the video up, I frame it nicely, and I leave it alone. And my approach is shoot in 4K, edit down to HD resolution, and then pan and zoom with Ken Burns-like effects within the 4K. And that way, it looks as if I was, you know, carefully paying attention and doing nice zooms and stuff. But in actual fact, all I did was I put it on a tripod, framed it wide enough, and sod it off. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and that's exactly what you should be doing, and and I do a lot of that too. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. frame it, frame it loosely, and then uh, crop it down to 1080p, and you've got a great shot. Yeah, that, that is the joy of these sensors being so big, right? So the, the stills hadn't occurred to me, but you know, the decisive moment, as Cartier Bresson would say, if you're capturing all the decisive moments, it's it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You still need to have a good eye, of course, to recognize it when you see it, but you know, you've caught it. Another thing I was thinking about before um, I joined you today was um, one difference, the the current difference with photos uh, versus video. With with photos, you really have a choice between shooting in portrait mode, in other words, vertically, or in landscape mode, horizontally. So if you're used to a, a film camera or a camcorder, they were built for landscape, in other words, horizontal shots. When you needed a vertical, you couldn't just turn your camera and get a vertical shot. The only way to get something vertical would be to pan upwards on something, like the Burj Khalifa building that I talked about. And actually, um, cameras too. Ergonomically, an SLR or a micro four thirds or something, it's much easier to hold the camera to shoot horizontally it's natural. You hold it in your hands. You look through the viewfinder. You press the button. And if you want to take a vertical shot, you really have to kind of twist it around, which isn't necessarily natural. Easy to do, but it's probably not the first thing you think of. Right. Uh, and I think the iPhone has changed that because vertical is now more natural than horizontal. People take pictures 
holding it upright instead of twisting it, unlike what they did with the camera. And I, I look at the photos that my, my son and his wife take, and I've looked through the, their collection of photos, and they're all vertical. They never shoot horizontal. And, and I asked them, I said, do you ever shoot this way? No. Why would we do that? So the default okay. has flipped. That's that's very interesting. So the, the default mode has gone has gone completely the other way. That that's very. I think so. And even with video, there's there's a lot of vertical videos that are meant for viewing again on an iPhone. But if you want to view them on your television set, for example, your television you can't turn your television set vertically. No. It's built for horizontal. horizontal images. So um, that's changed a little bit too. Um, so as a videographer, I, I think I tend to see the horizontal or the landscape shots first. Um, that's the way my mind initially sees a scene. Now, clearly, if, if there's something uh, tall in it or um, some other reason I should shoot a vertical shot, of course I do, uh, and I'll adapt to that. But the first thing I think of, I think, is horizontal. And I find even when I take a lot of photos in the, I guess it's the default aspect ratio, four to three, um, I tend to crop a lot of them down to 16 by nine, which is mm. the natural HD video aspect ratio. And for whatever reason, maybe it's me, but I just find that the photos to me are more engaging and they just look nicer in 16 by nine than four by three. So it's, it's an easy thing for someone to try. Just grab some of the four by nines that you've shot already and do the exercise of cropping them to 16 by nine. See how it turns out. And the great thing, actually, uh, one of the things I like about the, the newer iPhones is if you if you tell the iPhone to shoot at 16 to nine, it doesn't throw away the data. It's actually no. a lossless edit. So you can actually change the crop later if you said, oh, actually, I shouldn't have done that 16 to 9. I really should have taken the full frame. Well, you can in post. Or if you yeah. think, oh, I should have shot a little bit higher up. Well, you actually have a bit of wiggle room now because you've got the middle of, of a frame. So you actually can, uh, you know, shift your uh, shift your crop a little bit in post, which is uh, sometimes convenient. I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of the 16 by 9 with the iPhone. And I... I I think it's because our eyes are next to each other. Not Our eyes are not one above the other. Our eyes are next to each other. And we don't see in 4 by 3 we see wider. So I, I think 16 to 9 is a very natural aspect ratio. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, another thing I do a lot, uh, you, you mentioned earlier um, super wide. Mm. Uh, super wide is, is really fantastic. And uh, if, you, if you, before I had an iPhone 12 with the super wide lens, I would use a lens kit with an older iPhone and, and that worked. Or I ended up shooting a lot of panos. I love the panos. Um, and if you're a videographer, you're used to occasionally doing a pan shot. Right. Well, stills, you're you're basically doing the same thing, except you're you're just holding your phone still and you're spinning it panning around. across a shot, and you end up not with a video, but you end up with a still shot, which is super wide. Yeah, it's really great. Um, the thing I found though was um, unless you your movement is just absolutely 
butter smooth, you, you often get, especially of landscape shots, you get these color streaks in the sky. So that's not always good. Um, and a tip, if you, if you want a tip for trying to make that motion as smooth as possible, yeah. just a bonus tip here, um, what I try to do is I turn my body to the end of the shot. So my feet are pointing where the end of the oh. frame is. And my, my body and chest are pointing that way. And I leave them planted, but then I uncoil back to the beginning of the shot. Oh. And I find that when you when you move your body that way, you're you're basically uncoiling so it isn't as strained. If you do it the opposite way, by the end of the shot you're jittering a little bit and, and well, that's you're very interesting. So I, I got halfway there. So my, my approach is to plant my feet for the center of the pan. But you're okay. right, it's much more natural. To, to be like a coiled spring releasing because then your body is very smooth. So I should, I, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. That sounds much better than my technique. I, I have learned anyway, something so, uh, when I want, when I want to take a panel, I'll do that first and I'll look at it on the phone and I'll see what the sky looks like or any other artifacts. Cause if there's motion in it, of course you get these funny skinny looking people. And, um, and if that's the case, and if I can't get a really good panel that way, I'll take a series of still shots, overlapping, of course, one, two, three, as many as I need. Yeah. And then later on, I'll try to stitch them together on the computer and end up with one giant shot instead of a whole bunch of little and ones. How how uh, much of an overlap do you find works best? Uh, well, you, you don't have to be stingy. You, you don't have to overlap, <laughs> but just a tiny, tiny little bit. Unless, of course, there's a, again, I said, as, a, as long as there's motion, then you could run into trouble. But if there isn't a lot of motion in the scene, you can overlap by a quarter or a third, and that's okay. fine. That's and fine. that gives the software more to work with, I guess, if you overlap more generously. Yeah, and then you can crop uh, the edges out if you don't need, because you're getting distortion by then anyway. Oh yeah. So there are there's good software that you can uh, stitch those photos together and, and come up with uh, a really good example. I, I, for example, um, we visited Ireland a couple of years back and went to a place called the Giant's Causeway. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating uh, natural wonder. Um, yeah, so for and, the people listening, if you've seen photographs of these hexagonal rocks, that's the Giant's Causeway. And it, it, it yep. is quite a unique place. So anyway, I'll, I'll let you continue. Uh, if, if, if you've got your camera, you will just go crazy <laughs> trying to get shots. And in one way, you can't get a bad shot. And in another way, you will keep on taking shots forever and not feel that you've got the shot you wanted. But it, it's just a, a great place for photography. And uh, there's one scene in particular that, I just couldn't get properly with a pano, um, and I couldn't get properly with a wide-angle lens. And eventually I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to do this is by taking a series of shots and stitching them together. Right. Um, and in the end, I think I took 28 individual shots Goodness. and stitched them. And miracle of all miracles, it actually worked out. Yeah. So I, I've um, never been to the Giant's Causeway and been alone. 
So no, there no. are always people moving about. So to get 20 yeah. shots and, and have motion and have it all work out is, is quite impressive. Um, I think I was lucky. That's all <laughs> I can say. Yeah. Well, it worked. Um, yeah. So, that's you know, if it works, it's all good. That's that's what matters, right? Yeah. So um, those are things that you can that, that you can try to um, just get away from that single shot and, and add variety and not just have the same aspect ratio and perspective on your shot. But you're giving your if you publish well I shouldn't say publish sure. but if you share if you share photos with um, someone else they can get a much better sense of where you were and what it felt like than the standard photographs. So something that occurs to me, right? So you're saying thinking like a videographer. Um, yeah. So a video is never just the one shot, right? It's it is by its nature. It's a collection of shots that have been edited together. That That's part of the artistry. Yeah. So does that mean that you think more in terms of collections of photos than individual photos? I think that way to start with, whether I end up with a collection of photos or whether I end up with the definitive single photo that tells a story it varies where I go and, and, and where I've been. Right. <clears throat> so I, I guess another way of looking at photos in a collection, and if you shoot stills, is you can very um, nicely do a collage of photos. And again, they're, they're really good software where you can put your photos together in an organized way. So it's, it's not a single photo. It's not a video but it's a sequence of video that uh, video sequence of still <laughs> photos that tell the story of something. So you can use those um, cutaway shots that we talked about. We can use the high shots, the low shots, the variety, and it gives you a sense of walking through that scene in still photos as opposed to in videos. And Does that make so, sense? Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking, you know, certainly in the days when postcards were a thing, you generally would get postcards would sort of fall into two categories, right? You had the postcard that was the one iconic shot or more commonly the postcard that was made up of three, four, five photographs. And so you were saying we get lots of variety. So if you're taking the same scene from, you know, close up, further away, then I'm guessing what you end up with in your small collection is maybe a big shot to establish the scene, some sort of architectural detail, a quirky something or other. And when you put it all together, the person feels they're there because they've seen the tiny detail, the big picture, etc. There you go, Bart. You're a, a natural videographer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, exactly. I, I'll be honest, I struggle greatly. I have dabbled in video and I... I have dabbled enough to realize how much I have to learn. Well, you know, it, 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 the exercise I, I tell people about, if they're interested in doing more video, um, but they shoot a lot of photographs, the exercise I give them is <clears throat> try to tell the story in still shots rather than moving shots. Put them together in a sequence that um, tells a story and then export it as a movie. So you're, you've kind of got the best of both worlds, 
you're thinking in video terms, but you don't have to shoot the video. You don't have to edit the video. You don't have to open um, Final Cut Pro. You don't have to learn any of that. You can uh -huh. just put your photos together in sequences the same way you would if you were thinking video. But you end up with a movie without having to edit a movie, if you know what I mean. And another way of do it, doing that is to use um, an example of a program, uh, Photomagico. Photomagico mm. is, well, it's magic. It's a slideshow <laughs> maker. Um, and it does a fantastic job. And you can do picture-in-picture -picture things. You can uh, animate your um, sequences using Ken Burns effects, all kinds of stuff. And, and what you end up with can be some fantastic movies or videos built on still frames. And, and in fact, that's what, that's what Ken Burns did when he came up with the, the thing that's named after him. He did a, um, a program called The Civil War, and it was something like an eight-hour series on the American Civil War. I have the box yeah. set. It, I, I believe it's 11 hours. Uh, okay. <laughs> it is an epic work. It is an absolutely when epic you think work. about it, 11 hours of video, how much video was actually shot during the Civil War? Zero minutes? Sir, not 11 hours worth. <laughs> yeah. If any, there wasn't video. Yeah. But what there were were some photographs and documents and and other stuff. So what Ken Burns did is animated those still images. other objects, the still frames, the, um, the, the 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 documents, the photos, whatever, and put some camera motion on them. And it made all the difference because he wasn't just cutting from one still shot to the next. He was giving your eye some some treat, a little bit of a treat. He was moving it. He kept your interest. So normally when a, a still shot's on the screen and you move to the next one, your brain gets tired of that shot. Oh, how, how long? Maybe two, three seconds, maybe? Pretty You've freak. seen it. You want to move on to the next one. When you add that just a little bit of motion, the Ken Burns motion, you can stretch the length of that shot to four or five seconds. Makes mm -hmm. a huge difference. And so also, you get so to skilled choose, doing right? that and basically invented a genre. Yeah, which they called Afro, yeah. which is nice. He deserves that. Yeah. But it's yeah. also a case of if you want to draw someone's eye, you can make the Ken Burns effect go to the face or exactly. to the thing they're looking exactly. at or whatever it is you're trying to communicate. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the Ken Burns stuff. And uh, again, when I, I would go through phases where I would just go out on assignment, shoot lots of stills, come back and open up Photo Magico, and I would make a slideshow. And it's great. Very, very effective. Add some music to that. Remember before we talked about um, the, the, the sound effects, the narration, the music that goes into videos. Well, in, in some ways, that's an editor's friend, because if you if you don't have good clips to join together or if the, the transition is a little awkward, you can kind of mask that with sound effects or narration or music or something. And it looks much more natural. 
So um, there's some real artistry to using the sound, whether it's in a slideshow um, or a video. Yeah. Um, and, and so I say I have dabbled in video. And what I would do is I would set the video camera up stationary and then Ken burns it. Uh, but I would intercut it with the still photographs that were the main purpose of my yes. expedition. And I would Ken burns those, but I would leave the sound from the video running. So exactly. you don't see the steam train, you know, moving as such, but you still hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sort of brings the still photograph to life as well. So I guess traffic sounds in the background would be a similar thing, depending on, you know, a cityscape or, you know, twittering birds for a landscape or whatever you could, you know. And I think Ken Burns does that too, doesn't he? Yes, yes, yes. Well done. Cool. Um, um, and, and speaking of things like uh, we talked about collages, something I think about a lot is after I've taken all my photographs, what do I do with them? Right. Um, it, it's easy to get them into your photo library, but then what happens? You, you forget about a lot of them, and somehow I, I'm always looking for ways to uh, lift those photos back out of my library and more into circulation. Mm. So a couple things that uh, that I try to do um, – Screensavers, for example, on your uh, computer or, say, your Apple TV, uh, vary uh, a set of photos, for example, and show that as a screensaver for a while, enjoy them again, and then pick another one, do that. Um, The other thing I do um, every year, I do a, a, a printed Apple book. You remember when Apple used to give you the option of going into photos and creating a book, and then you would press a button, it would go away to Apple, and this beautiful coffee yeah. table book would reappear. Well, Apple doesn't do that anymore, unfortunately, but there are still ways that you can lay out and print your book. So um, what I do every year is I collect what I think are the the either the best photos or the most evocative photos or the best memories and I put them together in um, an album in my photos library and then I will lay them out and send them off for printing and it comes back and so it's a great way of um, maintaining a family history or just a collection of your favorite memories and um, you can sit down and look through those. And again, you don't have to burrow into your photos library right. and look at them on a screen, but you can actually share them with people, show them to your family, your friends. So um, I'm I'm a big fan of printed books also. That's a great idea. And there's something nice about being able to walk up to a shelf, pull out the book for 2004 or whatever. Yeah. And page through it. it. It it is very very different to huddling around a computer screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I we've got got a collection of these things, and when we traveled, um, I would uh, put together those travel memories into albums from a trip. And again, it, it's just a, a a wonderful set of memories. I mean, really, that's what I that's what photos are. I I don't expect all of my photos to be prize winners or exceptional photographs. 
it, that's not why I shoot them. The, the photos to me are, um, they're memories. They're individual memories of a time, a place, an experience. And if I can capture that memory, either in a video or a still shot, and look at it later and relive that memory, then I think I've succeeded. And, and again, it isn't about the absolute quality of a shot. It's about what it evokes in me later that I think I, I look for. That, I, I couldn't agree more. And that is a, a fantastic note to draw our conversation to a, cl- a close on. It is absolutely flown by. It's, it's been so much fun talking to you. Um, before we wrap up, can you let the listeners know where they can find you online and where they can perhaps see some of your work, be it, you know, video still, whatever it is you like to share? Well, as I mentioned, I, you can see me every month in uh, Screencast Online magazine, and I share some of my videos in that and share some of my photography tips also. Cool. I also have a YouTube channel, and what's there is a lot of the um, – music videos and uh, show floor videos from old Macworlds. And some of the newer music videos are from the Macworld All-Star Band. It's a a group of Mac geeks who gets together now virtually and um, plays together and records together. And I post-produce videos from those music sessions. And in your show notes, I'll try to send along some photos that maybe you could pop in there that give a sense for um, some of the still shots that I've taken. That would would be fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I I will pop into the show notes, whatever you send on to me, and the listeners can uh, enjoy them. I don't have a blog. I don't have a podcast. (laughs) Just so <laughs> it's well, the best you I know, your work speaks for you I, I love that that's that works for me um wally thank you ever so much for being so generous with your time it was a genuine pleasure chatting with you and thank you to alison for connecting the two of us together she said we'd get on well and lo and behold you're right alison thank you um well, next next time in ireland we will definitely have to sit down at the pub and oh, share goodness, a swap yes. a story or two and maybe share a pint I, I think we, we need to go for a walk and share, you know, and, and, and do some photography together too. Definitely, and find some trains. I, I know where those are. <laughs> okay. yeah. You're on, Bart. Excellent. Well, look, again, yeah, thank I, you I, very I, much. Thanks for inviting me. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, good. So to the listeners, when Wally sends me on stuff, there will be show notes at lets-talk.ie. While you happen to be there, there will be large buttons in the sidebar called support the show. I want to thank everyone who has ever and continues to support the show. This show has no advertisers. It has no sponsors. It is 100% listener supported. And I really appreciate the fact that you guys support this show to the point that it pays for itself which is what i needed to do so thank you to everyone who does support the show if anyone else would like to pitch in you can patreon or paypal the links are there i've been your host bart bushots you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time happy snapping You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. 
What about Amazon? Google. Geeky show ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geeky show ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.